I want to start a new series of, of messages here the first Sunday of this new year. We're going to be talking about uh, starting strong in, in nearly every area of our life. Uh, I believe that God wants us to start strong. It's more important that you finish strong, but you can't finish strong unless you start strong. So you got to start somewhere, all right? So we're going to do that this new year. And we're going to be talking about starting strong physically, starting strong spiritually, starting strong financially. And we're going to be dealing with that over the next several weeks. Uh, today I want to talk with you specifically about physically, about starting strong physically in this new year. Now I don't want you to respond this morning, but how many of you think that God cares about how you take care of your body? Now, I told you you didn't need to respond. You just are so compelled to do it, you know. Well, I think that probably most of us know that he does care about that. I certainly believe he, he does care about that. But the truth is, I, I, have, I have always felt that the spiritual side of, of my life was so much more important than the physical side that I, I kind of diminished the importance of the physical side and didn't think too much about it and just focused on the spiritual side. In fact, one of my favorite scriptures in this regard has been 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, which says, and that's the Living Bible, bodily exercise is all right, but spiritual exercise is much more important and is a tonic for all you do, so exercise yourself spiritually and practice being a better Christian because that will help you to not only, that'll help you not only now in this life, but in the, the life to come too. And, and so the, I believe that scripture very, very much, but I really focus too much on the part that said that bodily exercise is all right. In fact, how the King, how I was raised on King James Bible, and how the King James put it is, is that bodily exercise profiteth little. I like that, you know. That was kind of the hallmark of my life. Yeah, God doesn't care. Hallelujah. He doesn't care if I'm a couch potato. He doesn't care if I weigh 500 pounds, whatever. As long as I'm growing spiritually in the Lord, and that's, uh, but that's just not true. Here's the truth. Whatever God has designed for me, whatever God has designed for your life, will be greatly affected by your physical condition by my physical condition, just flat out the truth. In other words, I can hinder my usefulness to God. I can even hinder my longevity of service to God and to Jesus by how well I take care of my body. And that is as much true for you as it is for me. How well we take care of ourselves physically will determine what God can do through us and how long he can do it through us. Now, is our physical condition the most important thing in life? No. And I will say that there are some people who have made the physical side of things an idol. And, and they worship at the, at, the, at the throne of their biceps or something, you know. They have made it an idol for them. But is our physical condition important? Yes. Is it the most important? No. Is it important? Yes. So that brings me to where I am today. And I will tell you, this is the personal confession, public confession, true confession part of the sermon. Um, 
I don't particularly want to tell you this, but I'm going to. Number one, I have been overweight almost all of my life. As far as I can remember, all of my life. However, my sister is, five, is 4'11", and she weighs 95 pounds. But she was heavier than I was when she was born. I was actually the smallest of the, of the children. But I outgrew them all, you know. And I managed to, to get myself overweight throughout, throughout my lifetime. I'm really not overweight, I'm under tall. And so I, I keep looking for God to lengthen my legs or something, you know, so that I can, all right. And I need to bring some changes to my life physically. I've needed that for a long time. Number two, huh, I have type two diabetes and I've had it for 15 years, was diagnosed 15 years ago this month. So I have that. And number three, and most importantly, I know that it will shorten my life if left unchecked. And that means my ability to finish my service for God will be greatly affected. Now I have tried diets and diets and diets, and some of you know what I'm talking about. I have lost hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds. My problem is I've been able to find them again. <laughs> they, they ran off and tried to hid, but I looked for them and I found those and I got them back. Um, and, and some of you know what I'm talking about and what all that has done to me personally is build in me a sense of frustration and of personal defeat and of um, low self-esteem. And so those are things that I have struggled with throughout my lifetime. But I think it was around last summer I ran into a, I, I ran into something that intrigued me. It's called the Daniel Plan. And it's not a diet and it, it's not it's not the Daniel fast. Some of you are familiar with the Daniel fast. Perhaps you've done the Daniel fast. I have. Um, it's not the Daniel fast, so we're not talking about that. But it is a new way of living and it's a new way of understanding food as God intended for us to understand and use it. Now, you need to know one more thing about me. I am very disciplined in exercise. When I was diagnosed with diabetes 15 years ago, I immediately began to exercise because I did not want them to chop my feet off. And that still is a high goal. And, um, and so I have been very diligent with exercise. In fact, over that 15 year period, the only time I have not exercised has been over a three month period from September, October, November, December, uh, there's three months in there where I quit exercising because of the foot surgery I had, which was not related to diabetes. It was related to exercise, as a matter of fact. Uh, <laughs> truth. But um, anyway, I, I had foot surgery back in September, and, and uh, so I was unable to do any exercise up until the last couple of weeks. But I've, Carrie will tell you, I've gotten right back at it, and I'm very committed to exercise, but I have had to come to realize that I need to adjust my ideas about food and to learn to live in, in the wellness of God's created systems in a different way than I have in the past. So I ran across this plan called the Daniel Plan, and it was written by Pastor Rick Warren. Some of you know who he is. Uh, 
he, he pastors a, a powerful big church down in Southern California called Saddleback Church. And I think, um, well, I don't even know how many people they, they run now, but uh, it's a plan that he took upon himself several years ago. And then he offered it to his church as well to see if they wanted to be involved with him. Now, if I recall, at the time that he started this, his church was running between 15 and 20,000 on, on weekend attendance, you know, so very large, very strong church. And he said that he, he felt like when he introduced it to his congregation that probably a couple hundred people would, would do it with him. 12,000 people sign, signed up from his church to be a part. In fact, uh, I believe if I remember correctly that that church in the last two years or the first, I should say the first two years they did it, and I don't know what year they started, but the first two years they did it, that church lost a combined 250,000 pounds. I, did you notice that the West Coast was a little lighter, a little higher than it was before? It just seemed like we had a little tilt there, you know, I don't know for sure. Anyway, well, when I read that, I thought to myself, you know, Rick wa offered this to his whole church, Maybe I should look beyond just Carrie and me and offer this to our whole church. Maybe there would be a few others in our church that would, at, here at the first of the year, want to say, you know, I want 2015 to be a different year for me, and maybe we can bless one another together in this whole process. So that is what I'm doing today. We're going to talk about starting strong physically this morning. And to get us started, I want to share a key thought with you that I, that I believe is, is, uh, is a godly thought. And I, I, will, I will put it this way. God expects us to manage our bodies. There are some things that are out of our control, but many things that happen to us are within the confines of our control. In fact, some of the issues we deal with physically are what I would call self-inflicted wounds. We've done it to ourselves from a history of drug addiction, a history of cigarette addiction, a history of alcohol addiction, a history of food addiction, a history of lazy addiction. You know, whatever the case may be, we have done this to ourselves and therefore we're paying a price because of that. Now, to get us going, I want us to look at 1 Corinthians 6 where Paul says, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to that. I must not become a slave to anything. You say food was made for the stomach and stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord. And the Lord cares about our bodies. All right, that's a key thought right there, that your body was made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about your body. God will raise us up from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Wow. Now, it doesn't say your spirit. It says your body is a part of Christ. Should a man take his body then, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? So he's kind of taking the extreme out here. Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. 
But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Another key thought. Who lives in you, and it was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself. Another key thought. For God brought, bought you with a high price. You must honor God with your body. So let me bring that down to four key thoughts uh, from that scripture. Number one, I would say this. Just because something is permissible doesn't mean it's good for you. And so it may be permissible to have ice cream and cake, but if all you have is ice cream and cake and you have it a lot, that is not going to be good for you. So being permissible, which is either defined legal, I can legally do it, you know, I can go to Colorado and buy all the marijuana I want, smoke and get high, because it's legal, so therefore it's all right. No, it's not. You have a higher law. You have a higher calling on your life than what Colorado says. And that's what God says. Amen? All right. And so, so just because something is permissible, it might be permissible in, in the sense of moderation, such as cake and, and ice cream. In moderation, that's a permissible thing. But when it becomes the focus or the idol of your life, it becomes a problem. Number two, the Lord cares about our bodies. So look at it this way. Your body is God's gift to you to be used for his glory. How you use your body, how you take care of your body is your gift back to God. Number three, do not sin against your body. See, we think that sin is just spiritual. But sin can be physical as well. I don't mean physical acts. I'm talking it can have physical consequences. We can sin against our body. In these verses, Paul is talking specifically about sexual sin, which he says our bodies, uh, affects our bodies more than any other sin. The principle of taking, but the principle of taking care of our bodies is also given to us in these scriptures and becomes very obvious that God cares, not just that we don't engage in sexual sin, which is the chiefest sin against our bodies physically, but that we don't engage in other kinds of sin as well, which also can hinder and affect and hurt or destroy us physically. Number four, your body is God's property doesn't belong to you. It's on loan to you. You don't own it, God does. So what you do with it is very important. Now, I have to tell you honestly that I have not always lived by those principles in my life. That's obvious. But I want to. I want to live. I want to change. I want to start strong. I want to be different in this last stage of life that God has given me. I, I want to I live by those principles because I believe that God wants Carrie and me to continue to work for him for many years yet to come and to not have some physical issue hinder our ability to be used of God because we were foolish in the way we lived our lives. So with that in mind, I want to share uh, four truths with you that Rick gives in his book that I thought were pretty good that will help us to be healthier in 2015. Okay, you ready? Four of them. Here we go. Number one, trusting God is good for your health. Trusting God is good for your health. I love what Rick says, quote, when you trust God, you don't worry. 
You're either going to worship or worry. You're going to pray or you're going to panic. If you pray, you won't panic. And if you worship, you'd have a whole lot less to worry about. So trust God. That's good, isn't it? Yeah. Trusting God is good for your health. The Bible says it this way in Psalm 116. I said to myself, relax, because the Lord takes care of you. God is in charge. God, I've given myself to him so I can relax. Now I'm going to give two back to him, not just my sins, but I'm going to give to him my, uh, my strength. And that's why Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your strength, too. It's not just mind and heart and will. It's your strength, which is your physical part. So I'm going to love God back and with my physical part, which means I'm going to do my part, but I'm going to relax in the issues and things that I can't control. Because the Lord will take care of you. And that, that's what it means to trust God, that verse right there. Look at what Proverbs 14.30 says. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Isn't that something? Envy rots. So there are things you can engage in that will actually so physically affect you, it'll rot your inmost being. It'll, it'll rot, it'll putrefy who you are on the inside. You ever been around some real stinky people on the inside? You know, you just don't want to be around them. You know what's happened to them? Is they're, they're putrefying, they're, 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 they're rotting on the inside. Their spirit is a rotten spirit. And people don't want to be around people like that because they're, they're, they're discouraging types of people. So a heart at peace, a heart that trusts God, is one that is strong with life-giving power coming into it, not just emotionally, not just spiritually, but in body as well. So trusting God and not living with uncontrolled anxiety and depression and fear is good for your health. Number two, confession is good for your health. Look at what David said in Psalm 32. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. You know, when, if you try to hide your sin, that's what Adam and Eve did. When they committed the first original sin, what did they do? They hid from God. When you try to hide your sin from God and act, you know, maybe if I act really good, God won't see my sin. If I, if I go to church and I raise my hands and praise and worship, he won't notice, he won't care about the pornography I'm watching. You know, and I don't have to deal with that. So we, we, can, we can try to cover ourselves up. And, and really, you know, Adam and Eve, how they covered themselves up was they took fig leaves and sewed, uh, sewed them together and attached them together and covered themselves. And God said, why are you covering yourself? And they said, well, we noticed we were naked. And God said, who told you we were naked? And he found out, what did you eat? Of course, he knew, you know, but they needed to admit it. They needed to confess. If they were going to be healed, they had to confess it. And that's what happens. When you hide your sin, you're locking poison inside your soul. And it affects your body. That's why David say, said that his, his body wasted away when he was trying to cover his sin and pretend like it wasn't there. So how do you handle sin? What do you do with it? Listen, you don't repress it. You don't suppress it. 
What you do is you express your sin to God by confession. So you don't repress, you don't suppress, you express by confessing. All right, that, that's the process of dealing with it. You don't, you don't have to tell the whole world about all, everything that you've done wrong. But you do need to tell Jesus and maybe a few other trusted spiritual mentors in your life that can help you to live your life in such a way that you can be free. You need to confess it. You need to admit it. Listen, God knows all about your life anyway. So if you think you're hiding it from him, you're not. What he promises to do with your confession is to heal you. He says, you get, you see, we think if I confess it, God will say, oh, I can't believe he did that. I can't believe she did that. Man, if I'd have ever known they would have done that, I'd have never saved them in the first place. You know, I'd have just sent them right to hell, you know. No, God knows all about it. And this is the trade he makes with us. You confess, I heal. You confess your sin, I will heal your life. Look at what God says in James 5. Are any of you sick? Should you, should, uh, you should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. And such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. Now look at the last sentence. And if you have committed sins, they will be forgiven. There is a direct connection between confession and healing. There's a direct connection between sin and sickness. It will eventually catch up with you. Number three, giving generously is good for your health. Pastor Sid already kind of talked about it a little bit. We were, more, we were made to care for more than just ourselves. Every time you give, it brings strength to your heart and strength to your body because God made us to be givers. He, he, he gives to us not to, for us to keep. He gives to us for us to give. That's the, problem, that's the process. We're a conduit for the flow of God's blessing. So it's good to give at Christmas. It's good to give at other special times of the year and so forth, but it's even better to give to God. And you do that by, by giving to his work. And we're not just talking money here. We're talking about our lives to the work of God. So you don't come to church and you just sit and stare at the back of somebody's head and then leave and say, hallelujah, I did my God thing for the, for the week. No, we are to be conduits of God's love to this world that's out there. That's how you give. You give the life, you give the love of Jesus to a world that really needs your, your heart, really needs your witness and your testimony. So every time you do that, it expands your heart to see things that are bigger than just yourself. Now, I will tell you on a financial side, Carrie and I have always been tithers. We always have. We, were, we grew up in Christian homes. We were taught this by our families. Man, when I made a buck fifty for mowing a, a lawn when I was a kid, I, 15 cents of that went to, to Jesus. It went to the church and tithe. It didn't keep the lights on. 15 cents, good grief. It was nothing. But it was, it was huge to me. It taught me something. So she and I have always been tithers, but it's when we, we learn to be givers over and above the tithe. That's when the favor and the blessings of God started pouring upon our lives. And we began to see God being able to do through us something greater than we had ever anticipated in our lives. Proverbs eleven twenty five says this, a generous man will prosper. Wait a minute. Sounds, you know, the world's way of thinking is if you're generous, you're going to lose. You give and you lose what you gave. 
But this scripture says, you give and more will be given back to you. You will be prospered by giving generously. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Okay, number four. Having fun is good for your health. Being a joyful person. Being an excited for what God's going to do kind of a person. That, that is... That is the kind of person that is strong and healthy. Have you ever been in a church or around a Christian who doesn't know how to have fun? Man, I've been in those churches. I remember one guy getting up saying, uh, he was the pastor of the church. I wasn't. I was just sitting there. And he says, we're not here to have fun. We're here to have church. And I thought, my word, you know. If there's a church I won't go to, it's that one, you know. I believe that God wants us to have a good time. Now, I know that, that we're, there's a time to be serious, but not all of the time. I've had people rebuke me. I've had Christians rebuke me for telling a joke in my sermon. I have. I've had them rebuke me because I, what they say is, souls are dying and going to hell, and here you are telling jokes. I guess that's true. <laughs> I've had him rebuke me because I like a pro football team. Oh, you like football. That's so pagan, you know, all this stuff. Do you have a Christmas tree? Yeah, I have a Christmas tree. Ah, you know, <laughs> you pagan heathen. I rebuke you in the name of the Lord, you know, and all. I mean, I've had it all, folks. If you're like that, don't hang around me. You can come to church here, but I don't want to talk to you. I'm not interested. I'm not interested. I've been through it all. I'm so tired of Christians like that. In fact, I am convinced that they are the first ones who are going in the rapture. You want to know why? Because the Bible says that the dead in Christ rise first. This came as direct revelation from the Lord to me. I think Jesus laughed. I, you know, I don't think he walked around all the time, oh, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, you know. I think he laughed. I think he got down in the Sea of Galilee on the shoreline there and, and made uh, mud castles. Well, I don't know, they had, didn't have castles back then. I don't know what they made, but he, he, he made mud something or other in the, with the kids, you know. I think he got down, I think he held them closely and laughed with them, and I think they had a great time. I think when the disciples ate together, they laughed and told jokes and said, Jesus, did you hear this one? Yeah, I've heard it. <laughs> well, he's heard them all, <laughs> you know. You know, I, I think he laughed. In fact, the Bible tells us that God laughs. Psalm 2, verse 4 says, the one enthroned in heaven, what's he do? He laughs. That's right. God laughs. I know that there's a time to be serious, but folks, not all the time. In fact, Ecclesiastes 3, 4 says, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. Hallelujah. If you have received a terrible... 
If you have received a terrible word from the doctor, you can be tempted to walk into this place and say, oh, I can't praise God, I can't give God glory because I've gotten this terrible report from the doctor. That's when you give God praise. That's when you jump your highest and dance your most and clap your hardest and give God the greatest praise because in that spirit comes the life flow of God right into your body and begins to change and transform you into a brand new person. God will bring healing to your body as you rejoice in him. So because I like to laugh, I've decided I'm going to show, I've gone over just a little bit. Do you want to see this video? It's only two minutes. So, um, and, and besides that, Stephen up here preached for a real long time during worship. And that's not my, my fault. That's his fault. So you take it out on him. But we're, we're going to watch this video by a guy by the name of Michael Jr. who's a Christian comedian. And I got so tickled watching it this past week. He's talking here about praying for your neighbor and his first experience being exposed to that as a new Christian. Praying for your neighbor. Okay, here it is. I remember going to church as an adult, right, for the first time when I started going to church. And I walk in and the pastor was like, he said, I want you to pray with your neighbor. And I'm like, well, my neighbor don't go to this church. I don't know. You, know. you want me to call my neighbor on the phone? That's creepy. I ain't going to do that. Right, then they explained to me, right, your neighbor is a person sitting next to you. Listen, I'm brand new at this Christian stuff. I don't, no, I didn't even know you're supposed to pray out loud, let alone with this lady. I don't even know this lady. What am I supposed to pray about? Lord, help these bumps go down on this lady's face. I don't know what to pray about. I don't know what I'm supposed to pray about, right? She went first. She was praying all good and... She must have been John the Baptist's little sister or something. (laughs) She was like, dear Heavenly Father, you said in your word in the sixth chapter, the third, third verse of the book of Matthew, the 601st word on page 1248. (laughs) Lord, you said, but seek, S is in search, E is in everywhere, E is in excellent, K is in kingdom. You are the Alpha, Nisi, Jehovah, Jireh, Jehovah, Rapha. I'm thinking, man, she even know his nicknames. <laughs> now, it's my turn to pray, right? But I don't got the spiritual vocabulary to just, but I'm not going to let her out pray me. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, God, first of all, you are good people. You know, you are good, Lord. You are good. You are good to the last drop, Lord. Because, um, Lord, I, I just got to obey my thirst, Lord. You know, because choosy moms choose Jesus. So, because, you know, as the, rec- as the rocket's red glare, Lord, it gave proof to the night, Lord. I believe I can fly, amen. <laughs> Wasn't that good? Yeah. You know, some of the crazy things that go on in churches, I tell you, you know, if we, if we wrote a book about it, it would just, it would put you under the pew, but we don't have pews, but it would, it would put you down because the crazy things happen in churches because, uh, you know, we're dealing with people and people have misconceptions sometimes, you know. So anyway, listen to Proverbs 17:22. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. I want to ask you how healthy you are on the inside. 
Are your bones dry? You know what dried up bones do? Nothing. You can always tell Christians who have dried up bones on the inside. You say, hey, would you help us with this ministry or that ministry? Would you, how, how would you like to get involved in that? No, no, no. No, no. I'm just in it for what I can get. Well, what, don't you want to give back to God? No, no. You know why? It's because their bones are dried. No life left. I pray that if it ever comes to the time where I'm in a nursing home somewhere and I just can't get out and come to church anymore and, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for Jesus. I, I pray that, Carrie, you're going to be there with me, you know. <laughs> and and you, you better keep me joyful. Because she knows that I have this tendency to not be joyful. You say, really? Yeah. I was born with a, with, um, a joy defect. I've always seen the glass half, half empty instead of half full. It's partly cloudy to me, not partly sunny. Eeyore was my favorite. Well, I'm not quite that bad, but I've always had tendencies towards depression. In 1998, it blew up in my face, and I had almost a ministry-ending depression. Um, at times, I've had to be on medication for that. God has given me victory now. I don't have to be. I praise God for that. But here's the deal. You can either decide that this is just the way you are, and say, well, it's the way I am, and let your bones dry up, or you can say, I'm going to let God heal me. And I don't mean just about depression. I'm about, about anything. I'm going to let God change my spirit and change my life and change my outlook. I'm going to start letting him be Lord over all of me, physically, spiritually, emotionally, all of it. God, give me a cheerful heart so that the good medicine can flow into me and bring healing. What a great message by Pastor Jim. Starting strong in our physical bodies. Here at Live Church, we pray that you have a blessed week. Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can always go to lifechurchutah.com.